Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Nine volumes available in paperback and ebook at Amazon. And if you're an audiophile, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. And all I can say is, we're back. Yeah. And folks, (laughs) uh, Kev, I'm going to ask you to hang on. Uh, If I crumble, just pick it up for me, all right? You got it. Uh, I already feel the emotions welling up, but... If you're wondering where we've been, you know, if you're a regular to the podcast, that I've been asking for prayers for Paula for about a year now. Well, Paula lost her battle. She won victory, but she lost a battle with cancer on July 17th. So for the past three weeks, uh, Kevin and his wife had come up uh, to visit, spend a little time with me, show some support, and uh, we laid her to rest. I want to thank everybody for your ongoing prayers and uh, show of support, very heartwarming in particular, uh, Jerry, Philip, my friend BJ, Deacon Walter, Jonathan, and his lovely wife, Bonnie. One of the toughest things I've ever done in my life, laying your wife to rest. Paula and I met 28 years ago. I was a driver for United Parcel at the time, and I was working late one Christmas Eve, tired, my eyes were shot, it was dark, and I decided to stop into a McDonald's on the service road of Sunrise Highway on Long Island. I sat down with my burgers and fries, and there was this woman standing on her tiptoes, looking through the kitchen window. And it was really out of sorts for me at the time because I really wasn't that way, kind of quiet. And I said to her, what are you doing? And when she spoke, of course, she spoke Spanish predominantly. She told me she was waiting for her nephew. He worked in the kitchen. And I asked her if she'd like to sit down and have some of the stuff that I just bought. I told her I ordered way too much, and I don't know why this whole thing happened, but she sat down in front of me, and it's really weird when you're talking to somebody who doesn't really speak the language, and something clicked. And I only had a few minutes, and I then asked her if she'd like to have dinner together. Took her number, and weeks later... We had dinner at Mama Lombardi's in Holbrook. 28 years later, who knew? Our pairs would part. 
It's horrific. It was a horrific time. She battled tooth and nail. I was with her every step of the way. And there was nothing left for me to do. All I could do was say goodbye. Anybody who's been through this knows how difficult it is. And I'll never forget her. And someday, someday soon, we will meet again in glory. There'll be no more crying, no more weeping, no more sadness. Just joy. And that's it. But Paula would want us to carry on. And carry on we will. So I'm grateful for all of you. Who would have known when we started a podcast, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, that I would make so many fine friends around the globe? Who would have known that my writing of the books would lead me to doing a podcast with my brother? Truly, it is a remarkable thing. And like I said, Paula would want us to carry on. So, Kev... In memory of Paula, and in the spirit of Bigfoot. <laughs> what well, do great, we- great job, Bill. And I'll just add on for a minute that, folks, all you listeners out there, um, I know Bill made special mention to it a few times to me while we were together up in New York, uh, how special it was that he was able to talk to some of you uh, live and uh, how special you were to help him uh, not get through this journey, but, you know, take a few more steps in this journey. Uh, very tough time. So good, good stuff. Uh, thank you to all of you from myself and uh, great job, Bill, getting through that. You're getting me choked up, um, which is reasonable, but, uh, you know, Really good. I, I have one question about that Christmas Eve meal. Uh, you, you mentioned that you sounded like you mentioned you bought a bunch of burgers and a bunch of fries. <laughs> I, I just want to know if you went into McDonald's and asked for like the number 13 meal and they were like, what's that? And you were like, the Bigfoot meal. <laughs> 12 cheeseburgers, 12 large fries. Yeah. And of course, a Diet Coke. Yeah, and you know, it was really funny because, I kid you not, that whole situation was so out of sort for me. The fact that I would be sitting in this and just address this strange woman and uh, then ask her if she wanted to go out to dinner, it was like it was like it was meant to be. I couldn't close my mouth. I had to ask the question. Agreed. Yeah, and, well, that's how that works. There's many, many stories like that of people meeting, right? Like, yeah. And our first date in the restaurant, she could hardly understand me, and I could hardly understand her. But when I looked in her eyes, it was just like I had to be there. I didn't want to be anywhere else. And I I have a tremendous love for the Spanish people now because uh, in the years we were together, uh, Paula's humble spirit, uh, her quiet demeanor, uh, taught me some lessons about myself and about life and uh, about what's important. And uh, I intend to carry that forward. Uh, who knows what the good Lord has in store for me in the future? I'm sure it's good. And uh, I will always, always, always have her in my heart. So, Kev. What do we have today in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, yeah. So this one's pretty interesting. We're going to go on a little journey today, Bill. And it came, it started when I came across this article. I believe it was in Nature online. Um, I, I could have that wrong, but I will. Oh, it was in Science Alert. Sorry. And um, there was this story and a video that I'll put up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under podcast 160. 
And it was this mesmerizing underwater sphere or blob that the scuba divers discovered off the coast of Norway. And uh, when they were looking at it, and it's, I know I sent you the video, Bill, it was about six feet across, kind of a semi-clear sphere, and then it had this uh, kind of uh, colored, like flesh tone, uh, gelatinous, cylindrical mass in it, <laughs> almost, like a, almost like a tentacle of some sort. Uh-huh. So folks started to talk about this, like, hey, maybe this is like one of these unknown things from under the water that we just don't know about, right? Because the, the sea, like the forests of the Pacific Northwest, is a vast and unexplored place. And uh, when they were talking about it, they were like, maybe this is a Kraken egg. The Kraken. <laughs> a Kraken egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I was thinking like, hey, we haven't talked about the Kraken, which is uh, one of the legendary cryptids, uh, you know, that may still exist. Who knows? Maybe maybe it was a giant squid all along, or maybe there really is this other creature, or maybe the giant squid should be called a Kraken, because <laughs> it's this badass creature that <laughs> yeah, yeah. used to come and, and swallow ships and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, some of the old renderings... Oh, my of, goodness. Of the giant squid. I mean, were they actually that big or, you know, were they just uh, uh, drawn in such a way to make them look that big? I mean, you see these squid coming over the bow of uh, uh, a sailing vessel and it looks like it's, you know, 200 feet long or 100 feet long attacking the rigging and everything, you know? Exactly. Well, they. it's interesting. So... If we step back and look at the Kraken itself, uh -huh. uh, and we're not talking about the Seattle hockey team. We're talking about <laughs> the Kraken beast, although hats off to them for uh, bringing a cryptid uh, into their name. Uh, but you are exactly right, Bill. Some of these renderings, I mean, I have to try and get one to hang on the wall at home. Of course, my, my bride won't be too happy of a Kraken <laughs> swallowing a sailing ship above the mantle. But hey, we could give it a try. But it does show these giant, a lot of uh, sketches and illustrations of this giant uh, squid-like, octopus-like creature with its tentacles, like, engulfing a ship. Yeah. Now, when you look at these pictures in detail, the ships are relatively small. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they're probably 100 feet long, these wooden sailing ships or less. Right, right. And, um, you know, it's documented that the giant squids today uh, can be, like, 60 feet long. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, we don't know that much about the giant squid, right? Like, we really don't. We know of the legend, and then we started to see them in relative recent time, you know, washed up on the shore and things like that. But it's quite clear that they're not sure how many species there might be. You know, there might be like as many as 20 different giant squid species. And if that's true... Certainly a couple of them could be, you know, the XL version yeah. of the one that we know. Yeah, so, and they're, uh, they're also very aggressive. Very aggressive. And I don't think it's mythical either that, you know, all that this stuff happened with these ships. Some of these, you know, cryptids that we talk about become mythical. But you do see, Bill, like you talking about their aggressiveness. Like if you watch, you know, your favorite uh, Shark Week uh, broadcast, you'll see these sharks and you'll see these whales, you know, large sperm whales with huge scars across them yeah. of uh, the suction cups of a giant squid, basically having a fight with like a giant whale. Yeah. Because um, yeah. the whale wants to eat the squid and, you know, maybe the squid wants to eat the whale. Yeah. You don't know. It's just a battle to the death is what it is. A battle to the death. Um, but, you know, they're out there. Um, you know, in my opinion, at least, that there's probably more species than we know about. I mean, look, we, we discover a new shark, it seems, every five or six years in the deep, deep waters of the ocean. It's just completely unknown. Yeah, yeah. I'm not totally convinced either, just to flip for a second, that the megalodon is altogether gone. 
You know, the giant shark. You're not saying that because you know I'm going to go swimming in the ocean this Uh, afternoon? uh, No, I'm just saying. I'm not convinced (laughs) that that bad boy is completely extinct. I can't see how you could just... Uh, in in one twist of fate or another, have all of them vanquished from the planet in one fell swoop. I ju- I'm not buying it. I guess the good news it is, w- if I got swallowed by a meg, I could probably sneak out one of his gills. Right? Like he's so big, <laughs> like Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> just spit you up on the shore of Nineveh. I don't want one of those little megs that has to chew on me first. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so so, so yeah that. it's pretty interesting so if we transition you know from the giant squid straight into the kraken what's interesting bill when i did the research on this i didn't realize but you know these first kraken sightings and a lot of the kraken sightings they come from one of our homelands did you know that ah which one of our homelands from Norway. Ah, Norway, yeah. That's why, yeah. The, that's why the Vikings carried big broadhead axes to chop at the Krakens. Chop at the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting about that, of course, several things. One is it's fun to picture the Vikings wrestling with a Kraken, um, for sure. <laughs> but it's also like this is a seagoing nation, you yeah. know, and a, a pretty uh, hardy uh, group of folks out in the ocean. So it's not like, you know, when they're sending these reports of this Kraken, it's like not like it's they're on their first cruise or something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. to me they have a lot more credibility because there are these Norwegians out there on the sea and they're talking about this giant creature devouring ships and the crew of the ships. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. I mean, can you picture yourself being on like a 30 or a 40 foot kind of open boat under sail or rowing and something starts coming over the freaking uh, yeah, all the, of a sudden the huge tentacle like whips across the deck of the ship and the ship starts to slow down. And you're like, oh, yeah. I don't like how this ends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't like how it started. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So it's pretty cool. So the history of the Kraken, the written history, goes back to an account written in 1180 by King Sver Uh of Norway. I swear it was King Sver. (laughs) I think that's how you pronounce it. It's S-V-E-R-R-E. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, but he's out on the water, and, uh, uh, you know, they they see this thing, and they see it attack a ship, basically. And then uh, the really a really detailed description comes later on in 1753 by another Norseman, a Norwegian bishop, uh, Pontopedin. Okay. Again, in 1753, and he was the first to describe the Kraken as an octopus of tremendous side. Wow. Yeah, and he wrote that it had a reputation of pulling down ships Wow, under the water. I mean, I would say that's a fairly credible witness, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A bishop out sailing, a Norwegian bishop, sees the thing and then writes about it as being a, a giant octopus. And, you know, we talk about it as a giant squid, by the way, because we don't know of a giant octopus, mm-hmm. maybe there is a giant octopus that we don't know anything about, right? I yeah. Mean, who knows? Yeah. And um, this giant octopus, uh, he, he writes about it pulling ships down under the water. I mean, so when you think about a ship's hull from underneath, perhaps these giant squid actually try to attack a whale. I mean, from the underside, maybe it thought it was a... Oh, good point. Yeah, it's coming after the ship thinking it's a whale. Right. From the underside, you just see this broad, dark, wide form. You might think it's a a whale basking in the sun or maybe even the carcass of a whale and just charging up without it, wrapping your tentacles around it to start chomping on it. They got those nasty jaws, those pincers. Yeah, like a beak. Yeah, it's a beak. Perfect. That is what it is. They call it a beak. Yeah, but I mean those things are relentless. They hold you in with the uh, tentacles, and then those that beak just starts 
biting away at whatever they want to eat. Yeah. Oh my God. Brutal. So that Brutal. was that was seventeen fifty three. Yes. Wow, man. And he must have seen something to make the oh, yeah. statement that it pulls ships down. Absolutely. Wow. You know, and describes it as this giant octopus. Can you can you imagine being in a boat like that and as the mayhem begins, the tentacles are wrapping around, the people are trying to fend for themselves or stay in the boat or just the panic, the utter panic in the moment. And then the boat starts to roll over in the ocean, you know, and the sting is there. I mean, it, you want to talk about a horror story. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Yep. The yep. Cr- and then, of course, you know, Jules Verne, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, came up with a depiction of the Kraken in uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, right? Yeah, that was incredible, that fight. Yeah, and that's, and that's an old story in itself, when Jules yeah. Verne wrote that. Yeah, no, it, 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 the whole story. And, of course, Jason and the Argonauts, yep. when uh, Zeus or whatever says, bring out the Kraken, <laughs> you know, and that thing just appears in the ocean and starts ravaging that port city, you know, splashing around and smashing everything, you know. I mean, of course, we take it to the extreme, you know, in our uh, in a literary sense, but... People were seeing something and experiencing something that was otherworldly, you know, to them and to us. I mean, holy smoke, man. And you're right. There could be, like XL, as you put it, uh, octopi or squid uh, out there in the ocean that we're just unaware of, you know. Uh, I mean, I have no problem believing that, you know, that there's other species— of these generally rare and recently discovered animals like the giant squid out there in the depths of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, we just don't know. We just don't know what we don't know. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, heck, if Godzilla can be out there off Japan. <laughs> and we know he is. We know he is. Why can't, uh, uh, you know, some giant squid be out there as well? Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Well, you know, <laughs> it's an excellent... Uh, Excellent little ditty getting into the uh, two sides of that story and uh, definitely food for thought. You know, hopefully you're not out on your uh, wakeboard and a tentacle wraps around you and eats you like an Oreo. I think my heart would stop uh, before (laughs) I felt it bite me. (laughs) And by Uh, the way, Bill, the wordle today was alien. No kidding. Yeah, that's how I started off my morning. I was like, whoa, alien, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, folks, if you're unfamiliar, we have the New York Times Wordle. It's a little game where you have to guess what the Wordle is in like six tries. Uh, But kind of neat. New York Times Wordle. Check it out. It's kind of neat. Yeah, Wordle.com. You international folks. I mean, I know it's a big phenomenon. Here in the States. I don't know how much it is international, but it's super cool and it's free. Yeah, freebie. So if they ask you to pay for anything, just ignore that. And Wordle.com. It's a fun little game. <laughs> well, All right, Bill. That's that's what I got today. Uh, watch out for the Kraken. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Excellent. And I have a, quite a Bigfoot uh, uh, tale here today. This following uh, chilling and multi multifaceted account uh, came to me by way of Tonio Montalvo and his partner Galen. Here is what the two of them both saw and experienced while on the hunt in 2007. It was in the early fall of 07 that my hunting partner Galen and I had planned a two-day hunt near the San Juan National Forest. What started as a plan for an early departure late Friday night into Saturday morning had gotten fouled up when I couldn't stop my truck, and Galen had shown up in his Toyota Tercel. After messing with my truck in the dark with flashlights for an hour to no avail, 
We decided to head back to Galen's house to get his truck, which killed another couple of hours. Suffice to say, we had arrived at the area mid-morning instead of before sunrise. At any rate, we hiked into the area around Potato Lake, where we broke into some scrubland at some point, spotting a couple of mule deer in the process. Having seen nothing to our liking as the day progressed, Galen had suggested crashing in the woods at night, saving us the time of a return hike in, having missed out on the entire first morning of our two-day stint. Well, we had enough grub to last, but we had no tent. However, the weather wasn't bad, and we decided to rough it in the hopes of a good morning hunt. To be honest with you, I don't sleep well on the best of nights at home, and I wasn't looking forward to sleeping in the woods on my pack, which, as you will soon hear, didn't happen anyway. So the two of us made our ways into the trees by Potato Lake, stoked up a fire, and there we sat as the afternoon turned into darkness. And believe me when I tell you, it was dark. On several occasions, I had stepped away from the fire to take care of business, and I couldn't see the hand in front of my face. It was now late, around 1 a.m., that I turned my head and Galen was sound asleep with his head on his pack. And I remember saying to myself, well, it's just you and me, God, for the rest of the night. As I sat staring into the flames... At about 3 a.m., having not slept a wink, I heard the first sounds. There were what sounded like heavy footsteps coming from behind me, and I shook Galen from his sleep. Well, he jumped and said, what's wrong? And I told him to listen, because something was moving in the woods. We were both armed, and our guns were now brought to the ready. We were now hearing what sounded like seven, several different animals, or whatever they were, moving about at different angles to where we stood. Galen was carrying a large mag light, and I had a very bright LED headlamp as well. So there we stood, shining our lights here and there in response to noises we had heard, and yet we had seen nothing. This went on for about a half an hour, and then everything went silent. Although we were initially freaked out when the sound had stopped, we agreed that whatever had been there moved on. And about an hour later, Galen was sound asleep, while I was still sitting by the fire, awake. I think it was about 4.30 a.m. when the first stick or rock was thrown. At least that's what it sounded like. Having seen nothing and having not heard a sound coming from the woods, something that sounded like a stick or a rock hit the ground about 20 feet away from me on the other side of the fire's glow. Once again, I shook Galen out of his slumber, telling him what had happened, and he jumped to his feet. That was when things started to ramp up as far as action was concerned. Odd grunts were coming from different directions, and what sounded like something running through the trees, deliberately trying to make as much noise as possible in the process, with neither of us being able to see anything except for what we were describing as dark shadows or blurs of movement. It was the most terrifying event in my life, and by the way, I was armed. I have to tell you that having a gun brings little comfort when you can't see your enemy and they can see you. I guess there was a moment or two looking back that I wondered if my life was going to end that night, which thankfully it did not. At one point, we heard what sounded like a brief dialogue in a kind of deep gibberish, similar to me saying to you something stupid like oogly-boogly or some other nonsensical saying. For what seemed to be an hour, 
the thrashing of branches continued, with some noises like this speech intermingled periodically. And then we began to see the glow on the horizon of morning's first light. Morning could not come soon enough, and suddenly the woods were silent. We heard nothing leave, but we hadn't heard anything initially arriving either. It was as if phantoms had arrived and departed, having stopped to torment us in the process. As soon as it was light enough to hike, we began, having said to each other, we're going home. It was about two miles into the hike, with the entire landscape now aglow in the light of the morning sun, that several mule deer came bolting down a hill from our left, running right in front of us about 40 yards away. As we were watching them, an entire herd was following them, perhaps 20 or more animals, some of which I saw were foaming at the mouth. A sure indicator of running hard to escape from something. But what? We hadn't had time to so much as blink, and here comes this Sasquatch barreling down the hill in hot pursuit with its arms and legs pumping like you can't believe, and it was gone to our right-hand side in seconds. I mean, boom, 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 and it was gone. The size of this thing was immense, with its hair flowing out behind its body and head as it ran. It seemed to be covering 20 or 30 feet with each stride, appearing like a track runner when they're leaping over the hurdles. To me, it was more in the air than on the ground. Each time its feet hit, it was so fast and then it was airborne again. I'm 100% certain that it had caught one of them at some point in time, but we weren't going to be there to see it. We could hardly believe what had just transpired before our very eyes, but we both knew what it had been taunting us in the woods that night. Now seeing this beast on the hunt, I can say speaking for myself and Galen that I believe we were seen as a threat to the area's herd, and we were not welcome. It had to have been nine or ten feet tall and a thousand pounds, but the way it ran was not indicative of its size. This thing looked like a monster and ran like a gazelle. It was mesmerizing to watch. I would say 30 to 40 miles per hour as compared to a car going by in the street. Just remarkable. Few people have heard what I just told you, but believe me, it happened. And Galen and I will never forget it. What do you think of that, Kev? Wow, crazy description, huh? Yeah. Uh, A lot of detail in there. What started out as like a bizarre... He thinks it was try- they were trying to scare him out of the area uh, without, you know, hurting them or whatever, you know. But you know how I feel about this stuff. If you meet up with Bigfoot and go home, you had a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, at like a thousand pounds, and how tall was it? Nine, like, or, oh ten, nine or ten feet tall, he says. And doing 40 miles an hour or something like that? Like, jeez. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's booking, man. I'm out. <laughs> no, but really, Kev, is it that far-fetched? I mean, when you look at who, how fast can Hussein Bolt run? Well, I don't know how fast that translates, 20-something miles an hour or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like 26 or something like that. Could be, could be, yeah. So, and if you look at him, he's like whatever he is, six foot four and long. Yeah, probably six six or something. Yeah, so if you had a Bigfoot with the strength they have in their thighs and bodies— Feet, giant feet. I mean, it's you. You just tack ten miles an hour on that, and and you're right there. And he's hungry for some venison, so you could tack tack on another ten miles an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but I can't. I can't conceive of 
being in the dark where you can't see your hand in front of your face outside of fire's light and this stuff going on around you, I mean, anything could have just dove in out of the cloak of darkness and just tore the daylights out of these two guys. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's scary when you stop and think about it. I mean, you know I've been out camping in the woods, Bill, and some of these far-fetched places, and I know without having a fire going, I have put my hand in front of my face after you shut the light off, especially up in uh, Canada and the Pacific Northwest where there was no moon out, and you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. And then other times, you know, I've been sitting around the campfire, I know up in northern New Hampshire, and uh, sitting there, you know, in a little folding chair with the fire going and had like a whole family of possums come walking by like right under my chair. Yeah. You know, it <laughs> was like, I remember being like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> where'd uh, you guys come from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the stuff is out there. You yeah. know what I mean? Or you're sitting out there in the forest camping. You know, and, you know, even just a so a simple, so to speak, bear. I mean, you know, they smell you. They want to come out and see you. Yeah, they want your food if they don't want to eat you for food. And uh, you know, you can't see them. Yeah, no, no, and they can no. be on you real quick. And if their uh, motive was to take you down, you, you wouldn't even know it oh, hit you're you. You're going down. You yeah. won't even see them. Yeah, you wouldn't even know it hit you. Yeah. And speaking of going fast, you know, like I've told you the story, Bill, we were out in Glacier National Park years ago when my children were were small and uh, we stopped along the road to the sun, which is uh, the road that goes across Glacier National Park. And we were looking off to the sides at the mountainside, spectacular scenery. And we saw like this uh, rooster tail of dust coming up, going along the side of the mountain. And I remember sitting there thinking, there can't be any cars out there. And we got out the binoculars and it was a grizzly bear, like wide open, running across the side of this mountainside, kicking up a big trail of dust. And, uh, I mean, from a distance, it looked like he was doing 30 miles an hour. Yeah, and he must have been chasing down like an antelope or something, you know? Yeah, chasing something or running from something. Yeah, I doubt the grizzly was running from something. (laughs) (laughs) He's running from WJ. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's carrying more bite than he thinks he's going to need. Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. So what do we got today, Kevin, our uh, listener mail? Yeah, we got some good uh, good listener mail. Uh, first one is uh, a, a real good one from Sammy from Miami. <laughs> Sammy from Miami. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, his uh, message says, Hello, Kevin, with like 25 exclamation points. <laughs> And Bill. Ah, nice, Sammy. (laughs) And he writes, sorry about the pen name. Privacy, you know. Yeah. I'm actually in Momo land right now in the middle of the National Forest. No sightings yet, but it's early and I'm patient. (laughs) He says, first, I'm binging all of your previous episodes as we speak. I think I get through four or five episodes a day. Second, I'm pretty convinced that W.J. is actually veteran actor Saul Rubinek. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who Saul Rubinek is. I didn't know who he was either, but I did look him up, and I don't know, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Another friend of Sammy in Miami. Exactly. <laughs> Saul may look more like Sammy. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, And then he says, Kevin, I noticed that you never talk about what you do for a living. I'm guessing black ops or professional wrestler could go either way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sammy, that's that's my favorite uh, description so far. Yeah. Or professional wrestler. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So uh, <laughs> so Sammy says, love me some Skinwalker Ranch and Expedition Bigfoot. You two are correct. The things they start 
and then just drop can be infuriating. Yeah. Re- remember on Skinwalker when the voices of people in the command center were replayed in their speakers? They thought someone was bugging the office, and then poof, they just drop it. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I, all of these shows, I wish they'd just give you uh, a do their due diligence to uh, commence with a complete investigation of everything that goes on, take it to its conclusion, and then move on. Because it's really frustrating. Yeah, and they don't come back. Uh, you know, and then he says, I agree that Morea is the true north on Expedition Bigfoot. Ronnie would see a snot-filled tissue on the ground and claim it must have come from a Bigfoot. Yeah, blowing, it, <laughs> blowing his nose in a Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, love that they interview world-renowned primatologists. Notice that none of them has told them that Ronnie's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, my friend. Touche. <laughs> uh, and then he says, gentlemen, I'm sorry to do this to you, but as a musician, certain words automatically lead to remembering song lyrics uh-huh. and then adding them to your words. Be warned by reading further. I may introduce you to something you will never be free of. <laughs> <laughs> he says, still with me? OK, obviously, the number of squatch sightings on the West Coast is significant. As a result, you two frequently have reason to utter utter the phrase Northern California, to which my warped brain immediately adds where the girls are warm. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say I didn't warn you. All the best. Sammy from Miami, the self-proclaimed president of the Kevin fan club. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kev, I have to tell you, I'm glad Sammy's your fan. I'm loving Sammy. <laughs> Sammy, well, you know, he's got time on his hands, Sammy, if he could binge listen five podcasts a day. Exactly. We, we're <laughs> loving it. We're loving it. <laughs> oh, incredible. That we was good. are loving it. That All right. Good stuff. Uh, and the next one uh, comes in, let's see here, from David from Alabama. And he writes, hello from Mobile, Alabama. Hi, Kevin Bill. I am a huge fan of the podcast. I was hooked when hearing Bill read encounters on Sasquatch Chronicles years ago. I've been working my way through your entire catalog. I'm currently on episode 112. I'm an electrical engineer that has to travel across the state of Florida quite a bit. So I always have you guys playing to accompany me for the long drive. I live about 45 minutes from Pascagoula, Mississippi. I'm sure Bill knows the significance of that town. It was where two men were allegedly abducted by a UFO in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Those men worked at a shipyard in Pascagoula. Mm-hmm. My father lived in Pascagoula at the time and remembers the flurry of media and activity that took place as well as the news coverage. Even more interesting is my grandfather. My grandfather was friends with the sheriff at the time. I talked to my granddad before he passed away about this. He told me that the sheriff believed something horrible happened to those guys that night. Hmm. In fact, Calvin, the younger of the two men, was never the same after. He spent time in a mental health facility and to this day still has severe PTSD. Wow. Yeah. I know alien abduction is kind of out there and may not be on cryptids in the news and other oddities, but it is so well documented that I think it would make an amazing subject to cover. Yeah. Yeah, and we have covered it a bit. You just haven't gotten there yet, David, so hang in there and we'll do some more of it because these stories are really compelling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, it definitely uh, can shake you to your core. And, um, you know, there's not much you could do about it. The human being is only meant to endure a certain amount of things in life, you know. And when we get pushed to our limits, I got to tell you, you know, I began this show talking about my wife passing away on July 17th. And I can tell you firsthand for two or three days, 
uh, after that event, there were moments in my day when I was staggering. And I'm not one to drink. I don't do drugs, nothing. I was staggering. My legs would just like wobble like a, a drunken sailor. I don't know what caused that, but something emotionally, mentally, physically uh, overtook me. It's gone now, thank God. Who knows what happens to you when you're you're pushed to your limits? And uh, people can call it whatever they want, but unless you experience it for yourself, it's meaningless dribble. You know, you think the person's weak or you're stronger than they are, but such is not the case. So it's very interesting, Kev, very interesting. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Yeah. And our, our, well, we'll do two more letters here. This one comes from Roman. And Roman writes, Loma, KJ and WJ, Loma is hello in Hopi. I just want to start by saying I'm an avid listener and a huge fan of the both of you. The flow of your show is so natural and something I look forward to every week as it helps me to de-stress from a high-stress profession. I've listened to every episode for two or so years. Your show has served as an inspiration for a podcast my brother and I host called Supernatural Station. Mm-hmm. I love your continued reutterance re- of the idea of saying something if you've seen something. I continually ask people in a casual manner if they've seen something, and I tend to get some interesting responses. I was one of the artists that completed a drawing of Bigfoot and a flying saucer from a year or so ago, which I emailed over to you both. I'm sure you remember. And yes, I do remember. Anyway, I loved Kev's recent paranormal experience at the Brown Hotel in Denver. That was really a fascinating situation, and it makes me want to take a fairly short trip from Utah over to Denver to check it out. Anyway, I had a really interesting experience during the height of 2020, uh, sorry, during the height of the 2020 COVID nightmare that I wanted to share with you. I was with my wife and four-year-old son up in a mountain town near Park City, which is called Midway, Utah. We were up on this trail searching for a place just to get away from the craziness of the world and have a picnic. We were passing this patch of woods woods which was were situated right up against the trail to our left and behind a small patch of woods was an open meadow area anyway my family was walking past the patch of woods when we heard what could only be described as an elephant running or crashing through that patch of woods wow you you could almost feel the ground shaking it was so loud and disruptive as soon as we turned a corner to see what 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 it was, what was so loud and disruptive, um, expecting we'd see a large elk or maybe a moose running from that patch of woods out into the open meadow, there was absolutely nothing there. Wow. My wife and I were both caught off guard as something that sounded that large could not just disappear as the only way it could have gone was into the large open meadow. Huh. After listening to your show and others, I have come to believe that this was what many call a bluff charge of some sort. I believe it had to be a Sasquatch that was either in the patch of woods as we were coming around the bend and decided to make some ruckus to see what we would do or get get at a safer watching distance from us. This area is ripe with food sources and was not heavily populated with people. The area we were going to for our picnic was right around a pond that was adjoining this patch of woods where there were fish and ducks. I think the Sasquatch was in hunting mode either for fish, ducks, or maybe other animals coming to drink, and we surprised it. Keep up the amazing and inspiring work. I love listening uh, to you guys. Where did KJ get those James Bond qualities? (laughs) P.S. Whenever I find myself near Midway, Utah, or any other mountainous area, I tend to carry more gun than I think I'm going to need. That's what I'm talking about. Roman. Good stuff, Roman. You know, Kevin, uh, he said this place, um, what was it, Midland? Midway. Yeah, I've been up there outside of Park City. 
Yeah, and Park City was the place where they took that video a couple of years back with their cell phone. Remember that? That was Provo. That was Provo. Oh, Provo. I don't know but why I was thinking by. Park yeah. City. Yeah. Wow. But Park City, I go skiing there a lot, snowboarding there a lot, and it is, uh, it's a beautiful place and pretty darn rural. One of my favorite places in the world, Park City, Utah. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting uh, stuff. Roman. Yeah, wow. Love that. Roman. I mean, so there's so much activity around when you talk to people. You don't necessarily have to see something to know that something really strange has just gone on in your world. Yeah, and, you can uh, sense it. Yeah, you know. we're left wondering sometimes, like, what just happened, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> and, of course, a lot of people will not say something about it, which is precisely why I say, and Roman reiterated, if you've seen something, say something, folks. And you can contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact button, and let me know who you are and what you've seen, and I'll get back to you. I mean, there's that many, many, many people out there that I've spoken to uh, about their encounters, whatever they may be, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, Dogman, whatever, uh, look me up, and I'll hook you up. So uh, pretty cool, Kev. Pretty cool. Good stuff. And our last letter, Bill, uh, comes in from Mary from Florida, and she says, Hi, guys. Love the show. Listening from Gainesville, Florida. I'm crazy about Bigfoot and all things Sasquatch. And she says, where can I give you guys a five-star review? Don't see anywhere to do that on this site. Thanks, Mary. So, you know, this is important. I'm going to talk about it for a minute here. If you haven't given us a five-star review, it's virtually the only means we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast. And getting new listeners allows us to stay on a schedule and continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So the best way to do it is to open up a podcast app, choose the search uh, uh, icon from, uh, from within that app and search for Bigfoot Terror in the Woods into the search field. Uh, select the show under shows, not the not under episodes. So you want the main uh, little banner for Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. Scroll down past the few first uh, first set of episodes until you see ratings and reviews, and click write a review under the displayed reviews and give us a five star review. And if you want to write something too, we love hearing from you that way. So thank you, folks, and again, thanks for. Uh, helping my brother and me through uh, through the passing of Bill's wife. So uh, thanks for your continued support. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I know it was great to be back recording together. Yeah, just awesome. And folks, continue to pray for me, will you? I'm just getting roughed up here a bit. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever pass, but uh, your thoughts and prayers go a long way. And remember... If you should find yourself in the woods at night by Potato Lake in darkness so thick that you can't see the hand in front of your face, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.